Bible then, turn if you would to Habakkuk chapter number 2. That is in page 956. 956 if you have a Schofield Bible. Now, if, you wouldn't, if you're thinking, well, I don't need the number, I can find it. Well, it's between Nahum and Zephaniah. Are you any closer? Amen. Habakkuk. Then, if, if that don't work in a few minutes, just look this way. I'm going to read it. Nobody will never know that you're not there. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 4. Let's, let's go ahead and pray. And Brother Goodman, while you're just standing there, go ahead and pray. And ask the Lord to bless his, his word tonight. Amen. Amen. I brought a series of messages on Sunday morning in the last few months on title When Faith Testifies. We looked at Joseph, the adequacy of faith, Noah, the action of faith, Rahab, the ability of faith, Moses, the application of faith, and Abraham, the avenue of faith. And be honest with you, I pretty well thought, well, that's it, that's, 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 that's done, that's, uh, let's move on. But you know, the Lord has a way of doing things in an, un, in an unusual way. And so tonight, though, I'm going I'm to go to Habakkuk, the assurance of faith. In Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse number 4, and I, I don't believe this is going to be a one-message thing on this assurance of faith. And the reason why I believe that is, I believe that it refers to day and hour that all of us need an assurance of faith in our Christian lives. It is the day and hour we live now. And so we find Habakkuk chapter 2. If you've got your place there, let's stand together. Amen. Then I help you that are about to sleep. All right. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. Now let's read the rest of that verse together. But the just shall live by his faith. Notice what he said. But the just shall live by his faith. Now back up, if you would, one page to Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear. Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me, and, and there are that raised up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and the judgment doth never go forth, for the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen in regard, wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Heavenly Father, again, bless the reading of your word. Amen. You'll be seated. If 
serious thought, it would be a strong faith for confusing times. One of the things I learned quickly when I went into ministry was the challenging question, why did God let this happen? And I'm going to be very honest. I've never, 22 years, come up with a real satisfactory answer. We find as we think about the questions that life gives us and the issues people have, we realize very quickly, we find the, the cries go out, Why me? Why now? Why this? And you'll find that that question rings throughout all generations, not just this one. Yet it is, I, I quickly admit, there's not an easy, simple answer. As I read the Bible, I, I find one kind of answer in the book of Genesis. Job gives us a totally different answer. The Psalms even gives us another one. And when you get to the Gospels, it, it presents Christ who changes everything about the way we think. Finally, you come to Revelation and realize God's going to win this thing. And we're already winners and Satan's going to lose and be cast into hell. But sometimes we find great contradictions in our own hearts, in our own lives with those kind of questions. Now let me just go ahead and throw something out. I've heard this all my life. Well, well you just can never ask God why. Uh, that, that's not in the Bible. I don't know where you got that. I don't know where you got that. We find that many times circumstances of life come and they're so different. Perhaps that's the reason there's no one time answer for it. One family deals with dollars while another family deals with diseases. One family deals with wrong at work while another family deals with a wayward child. So perhaps the problems are so vast and different that there is no one given answer to everyone. Habakkuk, however, gives us a perspective of it that none of the others do. It's one of the minor prophets, and, and that there was five major prophets in the Bible, and there were twelve minor prophets. And the only thing that denoted the difference was the length of the, of the letters. That's it. In the five major prophets, there's 191 pages. In the twelve minor prophets, there's 61 pages. But here's what's interesting. Isaiah contains a message from God. But I love this. Habakkuk contains a conversation with God. Have you ever wanted just to sit down and talk to him? Boy, I have. I love the, our leadership. I'm listening. I love it. And we find here... Someone has said this, that Habakkuk was a man with a question mark for a brain. Amen. One thing for sure, let me give you the setting of the writing of Habakkuk. Josiah died in 609 B.C. And the nation plunged headlong into corruption. They, they, didn't, they didn't just 
inch up to the cliff. No, they were full bore headed over the cliff. It was almost like they, they, had, their, they had a death wish of, of corruption. And uh, it, it was unbelievable. And this was the time Habakkuk lived. And he, come and he comes to God and he says, God, do something. I don't know if you know this, but our country's no longer inching up to the cliff. We're headlong into the cliff, as hard as we can go. Billy Graham said as it, when he was a young preacher, he said this, if God doesn't judge America, he'll, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And that, was, that was years ago. Can you imagine how it is today? But Habakkuk gets into this conversation with Almighty God. And he comes to him. Now, let me give you a real simple outline. Chapter 1, faith tested. Chapter 2, faith taught. Chapter 3, Faith Triumphant. In this little three-chapter book, when it describes his journey, argument, chapter number 1, he's arguing with God. Number 2, he's answer. God gives an answer. Chapter 3, an acceptance. Here's what the prophet's doing through the whole book. Chapter 1, he's asking. Chapter 2, he's waiting. In chapter 3, he's a-praying. If you want them after service, come and see me. Got to move on. But we find when he comes to the end, he's moved from fear to faith. When he comes to the end, he's moved from burden to a blessing. He's moved from problems to praising God. He's moved from confusion to confidence. And he's moved from worry to worship when he gets to the end. Now, he did the right thing. Don't miss this. He brought the problems to the Lord. I like that. And don't miss this. No way, shape, and form do I ever want to belittle any of your problems. I know for many, they hurt. But God here has, has a wonderful conversation Tonight I want to help you with the help of God and His Word to build your faith. So in chapter number 1, he comes with three questions for God. Number 1, he says, okay, God, why God unanswered prayer? Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and thou will not hear even out unto thee of violence, thou wilt not save. Habakkuk's vocabulary tells us that the times were difficult and dangerous in his life. He used words like violence and iniquity and grievance and strife and contention all through the book. How would you describe our world today? I mean, it's... You, you turn on the news, it's, it's amazing, is it not? I mean, it is absolutely amazing 
What's going on in Missouri? I mean, they've had to call out the, the National Guard just to keep the peace in the streets. I mean, folks, that's in America. That's in America right now. But all we find that he comes and he says, and here's what Habakkuk said, God, I pray, so why is it you didn't answer? Or so he thought. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've asked God that myself. But I'm not as spiritual as some of you. Amen? And I'll acknowledge that. But I've asked God that. But I wonder how many times a godly mother and fathers prayed for their children. Raised them in church, Sunday school, and the Bible. But left home and left it all behind. Mom and dad's been praying, but they're still a prodigal. I wonder how many wives have prayed for their husband who's come in and said, I'm leaving. And they're just begging God. I wonder how many husbands are praying for a wife, which is almost as bad in the day we live. I wonder how many young men are praying for deliverance from a temptation but the struggle still seems to be there. So they cry with the psalmist said in Psalms 10, 1, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? You realize tonight, this is sometimes God didn't make a lick of sense in, in our life at all. And he comes and he says, Why God? Unanswered prayer. The second question he asked him, is this, why God, this uncontrolled perversion? Why dost thou show me iniquity, causing me to behold grievance for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore, wrong judgment proceedeth. We find that lawlessness prevails. Nobody's safe. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, don't you see all the injustice of our day? And I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I've not been in the justice system much. But I've been into it enough to know that's the most corrupt outfit I've ever seen in my life. That's the biggest joke, time-wasting God. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. You almost have to see it. You almost have to see it to realize how, how, how unjust it is in so many ways. I, it, it was... A, it was amazing how a lawyer could stack a jury to get the right outcome he wanted. I was amazed at that. But we find it everywhere. And here's what he's just saying. He's just saying, God, don't you see? You let me see it. He said, God, you let me see it. Why you let me see it? You're not doing anything. I... I I'm going to tell you about this, but I want everybody to look at me real, real quickly now. Everybody look at me. Don't you dare go there. But I'm going to share something with you. 
I need to just put this little exclamation mark. Don't you dare go there. All right? And I'd never heard of this. But it's called the dark web. How many has ever heard of that? One. Some people call it the hidden web or the deep web. It is like our internet service that you can go and, and you can search the internet. There is... Now, you can't get to this, this internet highway through Google and ordinary search engines. No, can't get, you can't get through there. You've got to go through a whole lot more complicated search engines. Whatever you do, don't go there. Because here's what I've been, what I've been told. That it is filled with child pornographers. Filled with it. Now, ain't something sick when people put children on pornography. Ain't something sick about that. Amen. Ain't something sick about men and women that watch that. Ain't something sick about that. Something sick about it. They claim that, that you can go on this wedding. I, I'm not going on it. I'm not going on it. I, don't you dare go on it. But, I, but I've heard that you can literally go on this side and hire killers and all this kind of stuff. Whatever you do, don't go there. You say, why are you telling us this? I'm just going to tell you the shape our nation is. And sometimes we wonder, God, why don't you do something about this matter? And he felt the same way. I mean, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Every, every week we're hearing of, some, uh, of, uh, of all this kind of violence and, and, and craziness that goes on. And Habakkuk's coming to God. And that's what he's saying. He said, he's saying, God, I don't understand this. Why are you doing this, God? Have you ever asked God why he does things in your life? But now, then he comes. And it's the third thing I wanted to get to tonight more than anything. Because really, here's the message. Why, God, an unexpected plan? Habakkuk 1.5 says, Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously. Now listen what he's saying. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Well, glory to God, now God's going to move. Hallelujah. I knew he would show up and do. Wow, God's going to no doubt send revival and change a nation and move a nation. Hallelujah, he's going to do just that. That's what he's going to do. I know he's going to move. He said, I know he's going to. And then, and then, he gets to verse 6. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall mark the breath 
of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Whoa, whoa, God! I know that. I I just didn't hear that right. I didn't hear that right. Those Chaldeans were Babylonian people. Everybody knew who they were. They were wicked. They were vile, corrupt. And God's answer, God's answer is He's going to send a people to take us over the land? That's why he said. Everybody knew who the Babylonians were. So you get this. So you get this tonight. It would be like God saying, America, you have murdered 1.65 million babies a year when it should be in the safest place in the world from my mother's womb. You have flaunted your homosexuality and demanded I accept you when that which I've called an abomination. You've cursed me. And I've heard the prayers of God's people. And I'm going to answer. So I'm going to let Al-Qaeda come in and invade the land and take it over and put you under Shiro law. Hated mine, I'll put you under theirs. That was the plan God had for Habakkuk's day. If you thought he's asking why earlier, he's really asking why now. Babylonians wanted the city, they took it. They wanted a providence, they took it. They wanted a nation, they took it. And no one could stand against them. We find here, they would take their kings and poke their eyes out. They would march the rulers off in chains, sometimes hooks through their jaws. Back of six, for lo, I'll raise up the Chaldeans. Notice that bitter and hasty nation. Verse, they're terrible and dreadful. And their judgment, their dignity shall proceed of themselves. They're ruthless. They're feared. They're, they're to be feared and dreaded. They were a law to themselves. They were swifter as leopards and ravenous as wolves. They'd swoop on their prey like, a, like an eagle from the sky. They gathered prisoners like sands and mock kings and laughed at fortified cities and they never stopped. Verse 11, Then shall his mind change. He shall pass over and offend, imputing this his power unto his God. The point is, these people are nasty people. And God knows how bad they are. And God decides in his plan. Habakkuk come to God said, why don't you answer my prayer? Why in the world you let me see all this? 
And God says, well, first of all, I've heard your prayer. And second, I'm going to take care of that, this violence. But here's the problem. It's going to be my plan. It's going to be my plan. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. The greatest day of your Christian life, the greatest day of your Christian life, greatest day of your Christian life is when you realize that God has a plan for your life. No matter what's going on around you, God in heaven, if you're one of His children, has a plan, a perfect plan for your life. Greatest day you'll ever be. It'll be the greatest day. God didn't say, Oh! God didn't say, Oops! Missed one. No. Never. Never. If you could tonight get a faith that accepts the fact that God has a perfect plan for your life. Don't miss this, Solid Rock Baptist Church. God has a perfect plan for Solid Rock Baptist Church. Perfect plan. And sometimes God does things and we just don't make sense to us. I hate to bust your bubble. Where did you ever get God said I, He was going to make sense to you or to me? Where did God tell you everything had to make human sense? There's not much about God that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to me that God would save us. I don't know where He got you, but He got a nobody when He got me. Just nobody. Just nobody. That's all what He got. No, a nobody. I don't know about you, but it's never made sense, this tithing business. It's never made sense to me. I count. One, three, five. You know, I count. And it's never made sense why 90% God bless more than when we steal His 10%. That's never made sense to me. I, I, how many of you know? Now, this is an exercise. Are you, this is a test. How many of you know a dollar is more than 90 cents? How many knows that? Hallelujah. Good. How does that make sense to you? It don't make sense. They don't have to. And many times, the circumstances comes in our lives and, and we find ourselves, what God, this doesn't make sense to me at all. God's going to judge Judah. He does here. And, he, and, and I'm like, he, he picks the meanest people on the block to do it. The meanest crowd to do it. I mean, it's there. There's a lady, her name was Miriam Abraham. She was a 27-year-old medical doctor in Sudan. And she was arrested and tried and convicted of apostasy and adultery. Here was her crime. She was converted from Islam and became a Christian.
they accused her of adultery because she had a child with her husband, a Christian from Sudan, who had immigrated to the United States. She was sentenced to death by hanging for apostasy and sentenced to a hundred lashes for adultery. She was given a chance to stand and recant her Christian faith. Time and time they would drag her out. She said, if you just re- renounce Jesus, we'll stop. But every time she would say, I'm a Christian, and I'll remain a Christian. And as a result, she was kept in jail and put in shackles. And the authorities didn't even unchain her when she gave birth in prison. And here's, here's amazing. They so hated her, they wouldn't even clean her up after she had the child. After millions protested, she was allowed to leave the sedan, her husband and her two children, and now entered the United States. And yet, she said through it all, here was her testimony. She said through it all, God had a plan and a purpose. And if these things must need to happen, they just needed to happen. That was her testimony. She had something bigger than her circumstances. It's something bigger than her circumstances. We find here, it's a, it, I stand amazed at this. Think the answer is as a nation, we, we don't think we need God. And what really breaks my heart what really breaks my heart as a pastor, there's some of you who don't think you need God. I'm not judging you. I'm not judging. I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not, I, I think you just don't need God. Tuesday of 9-11, our churches at Tuesday night were crowded with people. And for the next several, several weeks and months, our services were packed out. And for a little while, it, the, the, the attendance at the house of God, it just, just, just blossomed. But you know what happened? It wasn't long before all of that disappeared. I said this myself. Things will never be the same again after 9-11. But oh, how wrong I was. They are, or even worse. See, here's what we did. We turned toward God, but we didn't turn to God. 9-11, when those towers fell, For a little while we turned to focus on God. But here's where we missed it. We didn't make any steps to God. Didn't make steps to God. So when all of the smoke was cleared and the news and all this kind of died down, all we did, if anything, was make a step more this way. We turned to him for a little while. He had our attention. Here's what scares me. Here's what challenges my heart. How many of you remember 
Here's what challenges me. What would it take to shake us again? What would it take to shake us as a nation one more time? That's scary. I don't know what that would take. I I don't know what that would take. We've had school after school after school after school in all different ages. Men, boys come in and just kill for the sake of killing. And the newscast, we got to get a hold of the guns. We got to get gun control. But you tell me, the first time you heard somebody standing, we got to get the God, we got to get the God one more time. And I wonder, what's it going to take for us one more time to get to God? Oh, my goodness. And I fear that we've almost come to the place that we just don't need Him anymore. Truth is, perhaps that's the reason why people can just walk away with not saying anything is they just don't think they need Him. I find, however, God gives us three important truths, and I'm done. Here's the truth. This is for you. This is for you, believer. Number one. Oh, I love this. You don't see the whole picture. You don't see the whole picture. On this sheet, there's a dot. How many of you can see that blue dot I just put on there? (laughs) It's there. You know why? Because that's in the scheme of all God does. That's where you're at. You're the dot. And he's the picture. And what we fail to understand is he don't let us see the whole picture. If you can imagine a sheet of paper with all these different colors on it, and you find yourself as a dot, and you realize that God is in control of all of that, and that life brings us all different colors, all different things, all different turns and twists. But God never lets you see the whole picture until you stand before Him in all of His presence. I, need, I want to help every person here. Lord, I, I just love being a pastor, and I so want to help you. How many of you had something happen. You said, well, that's it. That's the end of it. It's done now. That's it. We're done. We're finished. How many's ever been there? Well, yeah, but you know what? No. You don't see the whole picture of what God's doing. You've seen one part of it. I, I like to use this illustration, and, and I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to find it so true. I like to use the illustration of a puzzle. Uh, a th- 
thousands and thousand piece puzzles. Thousands. And big old whopping lid. And we're one piece. And God says, okay, I'm going to put this piece in tomorrow. And we said, God, let me see the lid. And he said, uh-uh. I'm not going to let you see the lid. But I'll let, we'll let you see where to put the next piece. And let you see for the next piece. And sometimes that next piece comes with tears. Sometimes it comes with a lot of, lot, lot of tears, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of brokenness. Sometimes that next piece comes with a lot of joy and a lot of gladness. But God lets you see where to put the next piece. And then one day we'll slip out of here and God's going to go. He said, here, let, let me show you. Let me show you that masterpiece called your life that I've been working on. He said, I want you to see here. This is all the pieces put together. But until then, God lets you see one piece at a time. And you don't get to see the big picture. And I don't care what the circumstances, that ain't the end. Not if God's in the middle of it and you're praying. If God's in the middle of something and you're praying, you're praying. I love old, old Dr. Gary Berry said this. He said uh, when he was younger, uh, he got put in jail. And he called his mama. He said, Mom, I'm in jail. She said, well, son, I'm sorry, but at least I know where you're at tonight. Bye. That's what she said. She said, at least I know where you're at. She's talking about how sad she was, how lonely and how God used that time in a great way. Number two, first of all, we don't see the whole picture. Number two, God does not, nor will He ever operate the way you think He should. He does not, He has not, He will not operate the way you and I think He should. We make one of the greatest errors in our Christian life when we think our plans and God's purpose are the same. Did you hear what I said? We make one of the greatest errors in Christian life when we think that our plans and God's purpose are one in the same because they're not. They're not. And they never will be. We know yesterday... We know today up until about two minutes to seven. And we stop. But guys, God knows all your yesterdays. God knows all your todays. He knows all of your tomorrows. And God could be doing some things right now that secure your tomorrows and you don't even know he's doing it. God never has, never will operate. Psalmist 115.3 said, But our God is in the heavens, and he had done whatsoever he hath pleased. Number three. Now, I look, please get this one. God is big enough by himself. Habakkuk's mind's messed up. Because he thought he knew what God should do. I mean, he had it figured out. And you know what? In chapter 1, he's wrong twice. 
He thought God was ignoring Judah's sin. God wasn't ignoring nothing. Second, he couldn't believe God would use the Babylonians to judge his own people, but God did. We need a God who's bigger than our ideals. We need a God whose ways continually surprise us. Wonderful testimony in prayer time yesterday. Now y'all try that. Praying that is. It's a wonderful thing. And prayer time. Man gave a wonderful testimony of all of his struggles and yet how God has surprised him. And so I want God to always surprise me. Here's the question. How big is your God? Do you need Him? My, wasn't that a question? Do you need Him? I'm, I'm not talking about, you say, oh yeah, yeah, I need the Lord, yeah, yeah. No, really. Do you need Him? Do you talk like you need Him? Do you act like you need Him? Do you desire Him like you need Him? Do you need Him? Or tonight, you would say, then then the question comes, what's God got to do to get you to need Him? What's God got to move in your life to get you to need Him? Years ago, and some of you already know this, years ago, I had a... I had a uh, an ulcer, it leaked like a sifter. And I'd start bleeding. It wasn't no pain, no hurting, no nothing. And the first time it happened, and, and I had bled enough that my blood pressure dropped. And man, that's a, that's a weird feeling. And, uh, and I, I mean, I, I struggled with that thing for, for ever so long. And no pain. I never hurt. Never. And then I'd just start bleeding. And pretty soon I learned to recognize the symptoms of bleeding. And uh, went down to the hospital and I went through the window and I said, I said, ma'am, now I'm bleeding and I need to get on back there quickly. She said, okay, sir, you go out there and have a seat. I said, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm a bleeding and I need to get back there pretty quickly. Now, at that time, the hospital did something and I knew what to do. If you was just a real, you know, not real bad, they sent you to the left. If you was real critical, they sent you to the right. Well, they put me over here on the left. And I thought, you bunch of idiots. I'm a-bleeding. And you ain't got enough sense to figure out I'm a-bleeding. So I went in there, and in a little bit, in a little bit I had bled enough. I said, you better be getting me that trash can. I'm about to throw up. Man, I threw up, and I'm just talking about all of that. Just feel the trash can. I mean, just, just bloody red. It just filled it up. And you know what the most amazing thing? They put me on the other side lickety-split. I told them that I was a-bleeding. And, and you say, well, well, preacher, why are you telling us that story? Here's the thing. During that time, during that time, God taught me that if I didn't have that red blood running through my veins, I couldn't just do nothing. I began to realize very quickly how helpless. They sent me home and they didn't give me enough of the good stuff while I was there. 
So he sent me home anyway. And I'm telling you, I got, to, I got out of bed and went to the bathroom. And I sat in there for probably 45 minutes to get the strength to get back to bed. And I, I've never forgot that. And I don't know about you, but I need him. Boy, I started praying, God, plug that leak. I mean, put a patch on it, do something. And I'm on, I'm on, I need you, because I know something that some of you ain't figured out yet. I can be bleeding right now and before morning, be in the hospital, running a, running an electric thing down through there and cauterizing, I'm, you know, burning me on the inside to stop a leak. That's how I, I know that. And all that does is tells me I need him. And tonight, do you need him? Do you need him? There's something about needing him. Habakkuk is going to God. And, and now he'll let you worry, work, finagle, do all of that stuff. Shut it down every turn till you come to the point that you need him. One more testimony. I, I bet you I, I, I went down to see Miss Helen and no, couldn't get nobody at the door. The next, next few days I called, couldn't get nobody to answer. I mean, it was just, just seemed like we couldn't get that visit in at all. And, but it's amazing. The day we went, I, I began to realize very, very quickly when I walked in the door, Miss Helen had never been one to let nobody talk to her about the Lord. We tried to talk to her in it, down at the, at the uh, snack bar. All-timers hitting him, he sure's the world. And uh, I tried to talk to her about the Lord. She, she pushed me away. She wouldn't talk to me about it. I walked in that day. I knew. I knew. It was the sweetest spirit in that room you ever saw seen in your life. She didn't, she didn't push me away. Her sisters did something that's, that's so unbelievable. When I started talking to her, they just bowed their heads and began to pray. You'd be surprised to people when I was trying to talk to them about the Lord. Somebody in the family tried to interrupt and, and hinder me being able to talk to them. They never said a word. It's just amazing. And when I left, I said, Oh, my, what a plan, God, you had. Here tonight, I don't care what your, what, where your life is, whatever. God's got a plan. Even though it may look like tonight, He don't make a lick of sense to you whatsoever. That's what got to get a bigger God than your circumstances and your plans. So I'll stand to her